Hi, it's Cammy Chris Kamara, and you are listening to the Trinity Heritage Podcast with Jamie and Lee Robinson. They are unbelievable. Good afternoon, good morning, and good evening from wherever you're listening from. Welcome to episode 55 of the Wakefield Trinity Heritage Podcast, the only active Wakefield Trinity podcast worldwide. I am your co-host, Jamie Robinson, and with me, as always, is my co-host, my dad, Lee Robinson. How are we doing, Dad? Hello, and welcome welcome back to uh, this week's podcast. Uh, this week's guest is a State of Origin uh, man. He appeared in, uh, he's got a State of Origin shirt on his wall behind us as we're talking. He's got uh, a big CV and a wonderful CV, Super League, Man of Steel, back in 1999, Whilst he was in the UK, he played 27 games for Wakefield Trinity back in 2002-2003, as well as donning his coaching cap at Bellevue as well. This week, live from Australia, it's a big welcome to Adrian Vowles. Vowlesy, thanks for getting up, mate, and joining us. No, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Vowlesy, we were just saying, obviously, before we came on, it's, it's just past five o'clock in the morning there, but you're a bit of a morning riser yourself. You like getting up and working out. Yeah, I get up at uh, four o'clock most mornings to uh, go and do some gym, boxing, whatever, walk. Uh, just always good to start the day with a bit of exercise. And that, I guess that goes back to uh, your footy career where you sort of did the exercise. And sure, I think it's even more so important when you retire. Definitely so, mate. We, um, we ask the same question every single week to the interviews and the, and the ex-players and whatnot. Um, but you are much more of a Casper man more than a Wakefield man, I'd probably say. So it might slightly change this, but... What is the first thing that comes to mind when you hear the words Wakefield Trinity? Uh, history. Two two words, actually two things, history and Jeff Bagman. <laughs> um, I played with Bags over here in Australia and I always knew that he had success. Him and Fritzy had success when they played there and Peter Benson actually played with all those guys. And um, just yeah, the history because of the history of the club and, and those three guys. That's a, that's a great link in because uh, that's the, in 1992 we won the Yorkshire Cup, uh, and all those three guys played for us. Uh, and this year is our 30th anniversary, and we've got a, an anniversary dinner next month. And all those three blokes are flying in to, for the dinner. Yeah, yeah, they're tremendous fellas as well, and I know they they absolutely love it. I think Bags came over. I think they might have both came over a couple of years ago and had an absolute ball. And uh, yeah, you know, he's you know had a lot to do with. All three of those guys, and they, they absolutely cherish their time over there. Did you play with them? I know you were at the Gold Coast, sort of, um, at, in your early career. Did did your careers overlap? Yeah, I played with both Bags and Benno at the Gold Coast Seagulls, and and Fritzy and I played Origin together. So, yeah, got to got to know those guys well. Yeah, gosh, yeah, gosh, you did Origin. Mate, take us back to the seventies if you want. Um, how, what's it like growing up in the outback as a bush kid in Queensland? Obviously, us Yorkshire lads will never appreciate that, but uh, I understand you were born in a place called Cunnamulla. Cunnamulla, a very small town, but I lived on a property about two and a half hours out of there. So we had a twenty-three thousand acre property. Oh. So that sort of that that sort of tells you how big how big and uh, sparse the land was. Uh, Sheep and cattle property. Um, didn't have any electricity. Had a generator at night time um, to, you know, to get some lights and all that sort of stuff. Kerosene fridge, uh, motorbikes, horses, guns. You know, learned to drive from the time I could sit on someone's lap. Uh, amazing childhood. Absolutely amazing childhood, as you'd imagine. Uh, moved into town during the week when I went to school. Uh, then we go back out in the property and 
but you know a lot of that childhood was drought on that property as well so i watched my mum and dad particularly dad and pa work so hard you know keeping everything alive and you know probably learn the work ethic there but also had to learn to you know grow up you know as i said about driving a car you learn to drive the car because if something happened on the property yeah you know you were two and a half hours out of town you had to drive the car so yeah amazing amazing childhood fantastic how many of the were you mom and dad how how many siblings did you have uh, mum and dad and my two sisters and Nana and Pa were on the property as well. So when my sisters went to school, mum lived in town with them and yeah, I was on the property, which is not too bad. You don't have your sisters annoying you, but it was, uh, yeah, just honestly great, great times. Wonderful stuff. Where did your rugby career start? I've, I've, I've also mentioned, heard the word Charleville. Is that where you started? No, I started Kanamala, the Kanamala Rams. I, I was about nine I didn't start a bit later I didn't really want to play and then one day I decided I wanted to have a go and then I fell in love with it from that time on and uh, in those days it was sort of eights under eights under tens under twelves fourteen sort of went like that and then so I played Kanamala then I moved to Charvel when I was 11 and then I really really got in my footy then and you know played a lot of footy played A grade you know as a 16 year old and learnt all about tough old men playing against tough old men. And you won some grand finals there as well, did you? I won some premierships. Yeah, I won uh, most most years, which is good. There wasn't that many teams, so it was a little bit easier. But yeah, I, the last year I was there, I won, a, I won a premiership with all my mates. I'd swap clubs, which is, a, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a bit like, you know, you swap clubs in England and the neighbours and um, wasn't, wasn't very well liked in a town of 5,000 people, but I got to play with all my mates and we won a grand final. It was a great way to leave the town. Then at the, you know, the ripe old age of 18, mate, you ended up in the Gold Coast, the big city. Tell us about that as a, as a young lad. Yeah, that was... I always knew I was, I was actually 17. I left school. As soon as I finished school, a week later, I hopped on the, the old Greyhound bus for a 15-hour bus trip to, to the Gold Coast and... With a suitcase, uh, mum slipped $100 in my pocket and I went and lived with my sister to take up a, a cabinet-making or joinery apprenticeship. And, yeah, so I've you know, been in the Gold Coast for holidays, so I did love it, but it was so daunting. I didn't have a car, so I was always sort of sponging a lift at work. And, yeah, it was it was many times I rang mum wanting to come home, you know, as you'd imagine, just coming from such a tight-knit town to, to a big city and, yeah, just started playing there with the with the Tweed Seagulls, which back then were one of the richest clubs in Australia because you couldn't have – we had poker machines over here. And in Queensland, you couldn't have poker machines. In New South Wales, you could. So Tweed was right on the border and very rich club. But, yeah, just – yeah, loved it. And then tell us about the pathway into the Gold Coast Seagulls from there, mate. Mate, a bit of luck, really. I played that year, uh, captain that side at Seagulls, and the Gold Coast Seagulls, who are the NRL side, were – we're bringing a so that was the end of '89. The Gold Coast Seagulls were bringing a team under twenty one team in 1991. So they were, they were going to get a team in 1990 and just play a couple of games. And so a trial for that. And I, I made the trial squad. We had some games. I, I was a five eight back then. I kept just starting from the bench. And then we played Steve Rogers, the late great Steve Rogers. He was coaching a group eighteen men's side. Uh, we we're just playing a trial and we warmed up and. He uh he came over to our coach and said, um, mate, have you got a five eight standoff over ours hasn't turned up? 
So my coach just pointed straight at me and said, yeah, take him. I'm going, oh, how good is this? Because I loved Steve Rogers, absolutely. Loved him, and I'm just going, this is the best. So I went and played for Steve against our team, and I scored two tries and set three up. <laughs> and I got a trial the next week against the Brisbane Broncos in reserve grade and played that game, Got a, had a great game, got a contract, got an NRL contract. So it's funny how the world works, sliding doors, and that was the start of it. Did you take it in your stride, mate? Or, you know, like you say, you come from a, a little a little farm or, not, or a big farm in a little place. But how did you feel it, that your life was progressing so quickly? Oh, it's just, it was just luck. I couldn't believe it. And then, you know, the following week I'm training with, you know, NRL players with bags and people like that, Peter Benson. And and I, I couldn't believe it. I was, you know, I couldn't believe they, they gave me, they gave me a contract as well. Like it was only two and a half grand, but I'm going, you, you idiots. Why are you, I'll, I'll do it for free. <laughs> I was more interested in the bag of, uh, training gear that they gave me because in the bush you don't get much training gear well you don't get any training gear so all of a sudden I've got you know shirts and singlets and jumpers and I was more more happy with that they would have got me at that and then not too long after that mate you're playing against the Great Britain Lions touring side once again must be pinching yourself yeah well I, I played three years of lower grade so back in those days you, you might play a game a full game of reserve grade and then you'd sit on the bench for first grade. So you might have 10 people sitting on the bench. Well, I sat on the bench for first grade over 20 times and never got on in three years. And then I got a call up to play against Great Britain. And it was like, so that was really my first first grade game. And oh, I still pinched myself. It was amazing. I had to work all day and then <laughs> go and play that game. And uh, they wouldn't give me any time off work or anything like that. But yeah, it was just, it was amazing. And, you know, I, I followed the English league as well so I knew all those players and um yeah it was such such a great moment still got the jersey and very very proud good stuff you played in the center there as well I was just looking at the team before uh before we started um you yeah, John, John Devereux I think I I, I marked I'm pretty That's sure from memory John Devereux and Gall Gary Connolly were our centers you were in the centers with a I don't know this fella a fella called Cook yeah Terry Cook so Terry mm -hmm. Cook played yeah. State of Origin with um in Paul Vorton's 3-0 whitewash of the Blues uh, when Super League War. So, yeah, it was, it was so good. We got, a lot of the younger fellas got a start and, and uh, yeah, it was it was awesome. Brilliant, mate. One year on, 13th of March, 1993, your first grade debut. Tell us about that experience playing the Magpies down at Campbelltown. Well, it's always daunting down there. When you're warming up, it, it's, uh, it's it's a very daunting experience. The... the uh, saying a few things about you that you didn't even know about your family, you know. Uh, um, I don't know how they knew, but they were yelling a few things. It's pr probably a bit like going to going to Whitehaven and playing, you know. It's very daunting. And, yeah. Um, yeah, but I was just I was just so happy to play, you know. It's just uh, it's something you dream about, and I, and I was getting to do it. Good stuff, man. I'm just looking at the team here. I should have known Terry Cook when I saw him. He played in the centre. But what one name jumps out at us, Brent Todd. Um, he was your captain that day, but he came up. He, he played for Wakefield uh, a couple of years before this. Yeah, he did, and so did our coach, the great Wally Lewis. So well, um, yeah. a bit of a link, link there as well. Um, yeah, it was he, uh, Big Toddy. He probably didn't play the footy uh, that he played at the Raiders. Um, but yeah, we had, we had like we had a really good young side. Our 21 side the year before, out of that under-21 side, 15 went on to play first grade and six went on to play State of Origin. So if the Gold Coast had kept their side together, 
like we had, we had the young fellas coming through. Yeah, that was my next question, really. What went wrong? Because you look as though you've got a great junior setup, but that's 1993 season. You only won one game. You beat Newcastle 22-6 and lost the rest. Was that the reason? Did they get rid of too many juniors? Uh, well, the juniors that year, was, it was just probably Wally was a, you know, oh, I wanted to play for Wally because he was my hero, one of my heroes growing up and probably didn't coaching-wise put the effort into coaching is what it should, but I think you know, um, the next year that he was going to stay on and then Grant Bell, who was the one who brought all those us through, would end up coaching the Cowboys. But if they'd have done that, I think we'd have been all right. But, yeah, just – but it, they had no money, you see, that the, the poker machines came into Queensland, so then all of a sudden there was not as much money going to the Tweed Seagulls and they hadn't banked on that. And yeah, it was, it was a whole heap of things. It was a poorly run club. And then once again, mate, you seem to be making these strides year upon year, 1994, state of origin, 87,000 people in Melbourne, mate. Tell, tell us about that. Um, amazing. You know, I got a late call up. Um, I got a Don Ferner, the CEO, said, oh, you might might be going to get a call up. I'm like, I was hoping, you know, um, I, got a, I got a phone call Saturday morning. So they'd been in camp a couple of days, phone call Saturday morning from <clears throat> Ross Livermore, who's the boss of the QRL, and said, you're on standby. Steve Renouf's doing a fitness test. I ring in 20 and I'm just praying to God that <laughs> he, he fails. And and then I got a phone call two minutes later to say I was in. And, you know, I can't describe how I was feeling. It was just amazing. And then, then to get to ring mum and dad to tell them was, was, that was even better. What do you remember about the game? Oh, it was fast. I remember. I just remember going to Melbourne and I remember the bus driving in under the stadium going, I'm going, how big is this stadium? A whole bus can fit under it, you know, because it just hadn't played it, something so big. And the, the MCG is so iconic cricket-wise, I guess, but AFL, and here we were and we you know, went out to warm up and, and you know, it was a fair crowd, but when we ran out, um, I just couldn't believe it. And Alfie Langer before the game was vomiting in the toilet and I'm going, my God, how hard is this? If this, if he's vomiting, how hard is this game? And someone said, oh, I know he always does that. But, yeah, just to run out there was to see so many people. But when I got my chance, just, just to know I was the 81st player to play for Queensland, it was just such a great moment because I'd watched that game in – uh, sorry, listened to that game on the Wallace in 1980 and said back then I was going to play Origin. So 14 years later, I got to do it. Can you possibly put it into words where, you know, you're a young Queensland like growing up, listening to it on the radio, and some however many years later, you're in a state of origin change room with Wally Lewis, Mal Meninga, and Alpha Langer, et cetera? Well, the, yeah, the other thing was, is Chris Close was the manager. You know, so Chris, Wally, and, and Mal, the three original state of origin players, were still involved in that game. And yeah, like you said, there was there was Alfie, Trevor Gilmister, Kevin Walters, um, yeah, Michael Hancock, these who wasn't much older than me, but the Gary Lars and Billy Moore, there was just you know, Trevor Gilmister. Yeah, I just had to keep looking left and right and pinching myself that you know I got to know these fellas. And yeah, it was such an amazing, it was an amazing thing for myself, my town, my friends. Uh, you know, and I, I, I wanted to fly mum and dad to the game, but I was on no money. And back then, you only got your contract money half yearly and at the end of the year. And I, so I rang the club, Seagulls, and said, can you give me some advancement on my money so I can fly mum and dad? And they wouldn't give me any money, so I couldn't. 
I couldn't bring mum and dad to the to the game, which is disappointing. Was was Origin everything you expected? Yeah, so I I thought I could hit pretty hard. I wasn't the biggest fellow, but I could hit, and uh, I hit Bradley Clyde with every everything I had, and I didn't even dent him, didn't even stop him, and I went, "Holy man, this is this is way tougher than club football." And that that was probably the the, the memory from that game. It's just you know, and then getting sledged with uh, Ricky Stewart and. Laurie Daly was sledging me. I'm going, how good's this? <laughs> Ricky Stewart knows who I am and he's sledging me at, you know, at the MCG. It's so good. Once again, mate, another year on, you make uh, another stride into your career. You signed for North Queensland Cowboys. Tell us about your debut and tell us why it was was an eventful one. <laughs> uh, it's disappointing. Just leading up to that week, uh, we were supposed to do a training session and our coach, Grant Bell, said, uh, boys, uh, we've got to lay all the turf around the around the ground. So we're not training today, we're laying turf. So all of our first grade squad laid the turf on the hills all around that ground because if we didn't, we the game wouldn't have gone ahead. So that was our that was our lead up. But yeah, I just before that game, it was again amazing, amazing supporters. They're, they're the closest to an English crowd, I think, uh, for me. Um but yeah, felt great. Played the Canterbury Banks down Bulldogs. I was gonna have a big game running on that field and about five minutes in, I've hit their fullback high with my shoulder. I hit him with my shoulder, but I got him right on the right on the cheek and I got sent straight off. Right? First time in my life. Um, hadn't even been Sinbin and got sent off and I was just went, man, I was gutted, gutted, absolutely gutted. And this was the very first Cowboys game, wasn't it? They'd just been admitted into the NRL. <laughs> it was the very yeah. first 23,000 up, up at the stadium. <laughs> well, I thought if I'm not going to score the first try, I'll be the first person sent off, which I was. You have some big players there as well. I'm just having a quick look at your Cowboys team. Uh, I, I remember Laurie Spina being a great player. I remember Martin Bella being a great player. Ian Russell, is that the Ian Russell that played at the Steelers? Yeah, really good player too. Um, some skillful. players on that side. Yeah, no, and we had a lot of young ones. Um, you know, I, I I think we won two games that year. And the, the first game we won away at, at Illawarra at the Steelers, and which I was lucky enough to score a try, and which was amazing to come back to the you know, back to the airport and supporters there, and then to win at home. We beat West at home, and I can tell you that that was like winning a grand final. It was amazing <laughs> the supporters, and you know, I rode a we had a horse as a mascot. Horse came in the dressing room. I got a picture of me on the horse in the dressing room <laughs> drinking a beer. Yeah, it was awesome. What was your position at this area? Because I'm looking at your career now. In this game, you played in the centres, you've played at 5'8, you've played at lock. What was your position or what did you prefer to play at this era? Uh <clears throat> centre there, but I I always knew I was going to become a lock. I just love love that physicality. I love being in the middle and, and locks back then, loose fours back then you're used to ball play. Um, so you could get a bit of both in. You didn't have the responsibility of a 5'8", but uh, you could still use the ball. And that's what I, um, or I knew I was always going to end up there, So, which I did. And then uh, you obviously had a couple of years up there. Um, and you've, I've heard you tell a story um, about Tim Sheens and why you left. When yeah, he took well, you to the office. I, I captained the side 96 every game. I played most of the uh, half that game with a torn groin and just kept playing and um, still played some handy footy and then 
had uh, and Tim came in, which I was looking forward to. Yeah, great coach of the Raiders, and I was just couldn't wait to 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 be coached by him. And he called me. They named a Super League squad of twenty five or something. I wasn't in it, and he said, "I suppose you want to see me." I went, "Oh yeah, I do actually." And he called me into his office, and uh, he said, uh, "You're not big enough. You're not strong enough. You're not fast enough. And you've got limited ability, so there's no position for you here." And I'm just pretty well just sunk into my chair. Because I'm going to get a centre in who can score tries and da 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 da. And I'm saying, well, I'm, I played the last half of the year as the lock, <laughs> um, you know. So I'm not really a centre anymore. But uh, and I said, I just said to him, mate, you're not a, you're not at the Canberra Raiders now. If you put me outside Laurie Daly and Ricky Stewart, I'll score tries all day. You know, this isn't the Raiders. And I was so disappointed. I walked out of there and just, didn't, you know, I didn't didn't. The journal rang me pretty well straight after, so they must have known. I did. I did. Dad always said, "Try not to bag, you know, anyone." So I didn't. And yeah, it looked like I was going to the Bulldogs, and it looked like I was going to uh, the Warriors and the Storm, and, and nothing. And then, yeah, just I was gutted. I just thought, my God, like I didn't know where my career was heading. Have you met him since? No. Oh, okay. No, I haven't. No, I haven't. Which is interesting because you normally run into everyone. Yeah, thousand times after you retire. Yeah, so well, that's where England came in, mate. How, that was we're talking about 1996-97. How did the move to Castleford and uh, England come about? The Daryl Vanderbilt, um, who used to coach at Cass in the early nineties, he um, he gave me a phone call out of the blue. He said, "How would you like to go to Castleford?" And uh, you know, obviously followed the English league, knew knew Cass well, and um, I thought, oh well. we'll go over for one year and then just come back and play play NRL. So off we trotted over to the UK from the, the middle of summer here to the middle of winter in, in the UK, which was a shock. <laughs> what was it about Castleford that attracted you overall? Because you had three separate stints there. You had some fantastic memories, you know, Dream Team and Man of Steel, Captain, etc. Obviously must have had a big big affiliation with you. Oh, I did. I don't want to not when I first went over because we lost eleven games straight. And, uh, <laughs> I was getting I was getting booed, followed to my car, and told very nicely to go back to Australia. And yeah, I was just I couldn't believe it. I'm going, what have I come over here for? And then sure, Raper came, uh, and t- you know changed ch- just changed it. Went back went back to basics as a coach, and you know each year we sort of got different players in. But I, I got to know the supporters and. And this doesn't matter what club you you are at. You've got to know your supporters. And I got to know the true Castleford supporters. So I'd go to Mick Morgan's, Morgie, ex-Wakefield player, um, Mick Morgan's uh, trivia night of a Monday, watch the game, play trivia. And I got to know, I'd go there and have a beer. I was the only player who did it. I'd go and have a beer with the supporters and just got, got to know them. And, you know, and then I felt like just the history. you got to learn the history of clubs. And I learned just learned so much, and then all all of a sudden, I sort of everything clicked on the field as well, on and off the field. So it was, it was you know, I really enjoyed it then. Are you someone we've interviewed players before who take a lot of pride in memorabilia and trophies they've won in the back? We've had some who just keep them in the loft and never speak about them again. When you won the Man of Steel, how much did that mean to you? Yeah, that was amazing. But I I got nominated, so I didn't think I was going to win it. I was just happy to. Get nominated, go and have some free beers and um, a feed, and stay at the hotel. And 
And uh, and I tell the story because all the other awards they had that night, they they sort of read out the candidates a little bit about them, and and then all of a sudden, for the men still, they started talking about me. I'm going to. And then all of a sudden they said he's the first uh, Castlewood player to win the Man of Steel. And I sort of, I thought, what did they just say? And then <laughs> our marketing manager said, you've won it. I went, and I just couldn't believe it. And it was just, yeah, amazing, amazing, you know, to do that, to to being told by Tim Sheens, you know, what he's told me and then to win this award. And that was the first thing I said when I got up. I'd just like to thank Tim Sheens for winning this award because, you know, he basically <laughs> sacked me and I'm here winning it. Um but you know, I and the '98, '99 played some good footy. But you, again, you don't win it without your teammates, and we we just had a really tight knit club, really good fellas, and um, yeah, that's that's how you win those awards. What do you think clicked for you specifically that season? Was it was it your, like you say your teammates around you, or did you just every you had an injury free season, for example? Well, I didn't actually. I broke my finger and had to get operated on. I missed four games. Um, and I was playing when I come back. It was, it was still buggered. I was getting needled. I got needled every in that finger every every game for four years. Actually, um, just yeah, I'd got a couple more ops on it. Yeah, but um, '98, I I had a really really big year, and then '99 just continued. And I don't know. I just when you feel comfortable, when you feel confident, um, things are good. Yeah, it's amazing. How well you play, and if you if your teammates and you all get on well, we all got on well on and off the field, and we're always together, we're always doing things, and I think that's your culture is. You can have the best team in the world, but if you don't have a culture, you're never going to win anything. And then fast forward a little bit, mate. Two thousand and two, you stayed in West Yorkshire, but you went to the Blue and Amber of, of Leeds Rhinos, mate. You, you played twenty games there. What what brought that about? Well, I didn't want to leave. Cass um, came down to the old contract. And they uh, offered me a lot less than what I was on and, you know, ridiculous. And I was still playing good footy and did a lot for the club away from uh, the footy field and got an offer. And so I rang Danny Orr and they've offered me absolutely thing. He's uh, crap money. And he said, why don't, you, why don't you ring him and then say, can you go and talk to other clubs? And I did that. And they said, yes. I went, man, they don't want me here. So I... Back then, you sent out faxes <laughs> and I'd fax different clubs um, around the place and Leeds were the ones that came back and said they were interested. And I, oh, and I was like, I don't really want to go to Leeds because I, I, I'd had a, as you, when you play against them, you had a hatred for them because, you know, that's how it was. And um, But Cass had a chance to come back and, um, you know, offer me another contract. And then they didn't. So I went in and told them that I was leaving. And then they said, oh, we're going to offer you more money. And I said, well, you had the opportunity to do it. So I was I was gutted. And the, this, the fans had got something about 8,000 signed signatures to keep me. And they still hadn't done that, which was – so then, you know, people were sort of making out that I didn't care about Cass, which was never the case. It was just – I didn't have an option, which was – it was disappointing. But, you know, then I, you know, I thought, oh, I'm going to go to Leeds, big club, and have a crack. I mean, it, you're talking 2002, so it was probably just about the start of their golden generation when all their, you know, their world class talents came through at the same time. What do you remember about that that crop of talent, and what what did you feel like you influenced at that time? Oh, uh, you know, your Rob Burrows and Kev Simfields were just Danny McGuire's. That they just what what I loved about those three guys in particular, and Jamie Jones, they were just really good good fellas. 
really good fellas. And um, and when you and you can just see they were going to make it. One, their sheer talent, but two, they just had great attitudes. And you know, uh, Daryl uh, Powell was a coach when I was there, and he he'd probably come from playing and then gone straight in into the coaching at, the, at that same club. And I don't think that was, you know, I think he knew too many people. So I think it was a bit hard for him, but yeah, but I just, you could just tell those fellows were coming through and uh, how amazing they were going to be. Good stuff. This was around about 2002. You'd played 20 games at Leeds. Then out of the blue, you got a phone call from Trinity about play a coaching role. How did that come about? Oh, I just got this, uh, I can't remember who rang me, but I got a phone call to say, would I be interested in going to Super League Club? And I went, who? And they said Wakefield. I went, and you'd be uh, you'd be a head coach, <clears throat> um, player coach. So I went, and I was just, I just I wasn't happy, happy, happy at Leeds. I was playing a right as here or there, but it's sort of, I thought, oh, that's an opportunity. And I spoke to Ben Walker, who was playing at Leeds. He said, just do it, just do it. And I said, yeah, but I haven't coached that at that level, you know. He goes, it doesn't matter, just. Just do it, and I like, and anyway, I made the decision. So I said I agreed to become the head coach, player coach, and head coach. And then about a week later, Ted rings me up and said, "Oh, can I just come and see you?" So he arrives at my house for shaming Nelly. He said, "Oh, something about the visa, but oh, would you share the role?" And I went, "Oh," <laughs> and I didn't want to, but then I was like, but then I was like, "Oh, can I handle it on my own?" and Anyway, I agreed to share the role, which I always kick myself that I did that. I shouldn't have done that. I should have just. So anyway, that's what happened. And I think, don't know how many games to go. There was, we were coming last. I know that, but uh, might have been nine, nine games, maybe not that many. But yeah, it was. But you know what? I, I loved it as soon as I got there. It, it, Wakefield fans weren't like this. Allcast fans weren't like this, but very similar clubs. Um, <laughs> Very similar clubs in terms of that. And yeah, as soon as I got there, I just knew that I was going to enjoy it. And again, the players were great. It was just a good feeling when I got there. And we just had to try and win. And as you know, came down to that that last game. But yeah, you know, as a as a player coach, it was interesting because I had to, all of a sudden I'm I'm training and and playing, but I'm also doing the video. I did all the video stuff and stuff on all the other teams, and then sharing sharing with another person as well. Was interesting dynamic. Yeah, I was going to obviously. I'm just rewinding a little bit because, like, it was a big decision to come over because, like, you just said, we were running last at the time. So you yeah. gave up a, a, a career at sort of a, a, a season at Leeds to come over to us, who were bottom of the league. But I'm just looking at the side when you made your debut. You you played against Hull at home in August 2002, and we had a fair splattering of overseas players. I don't know if you remember the names of uh, Chris Tassel in the centre or an Australian. Dion Burder was in the centre. Andrew Frew on the wing. Martin yeah. Moana, the big Samoan at standoff. Yeah. Troy Slattery. Uh, so you had a splattering yeah. of overseas players. Yeah, I did. And you know what? I'm I'm still keeping contact with Chris Tassel. Uh, he lives in Brisbane. And Troy Slattery, I end up where I'm, I run a cleaning business and he gave the company the heads up about me that they should employ me. So I still still in contact with those those boys and so it was good that I knew, I, and I played with Chris Tassel at the Cowboys, so I already knew him. Um, I didn't know, I played against Marty Moana at um, Halifax, but yeah, I didn't know, but I, I just felt that, um, 
you know, we had an opportunity. I come off the bench that against Hull, which we didn't get the didn't get the win, but it was uh, yeah, it was a good good bunch of good bunch of players. Uh, I, I, one I forgot to mention was Brad Davis. He was a big star over here. Yeah, so I talked to Brad before I went and just said about it. You know, here's one player. He's one of the most favourite players that I've played alongside. I love playing beside Brad. Um, great fella. Very skillful player. Obviously, he came from Trinity to, to Cass at the start and, and then it's gone back, you know, and he, he was an integral part of what happened at Cass as well. And as he was at Wakefield, I knew with him there, I, I you know, I could someone I could trust and also I knew he, he could lead us around the park. And Yeah, so he yeah, it was great having him there. Uh, and he was a right. He, I was say he was a bit of a relegation dogfight. And you were, even though you were the coach, you were all over everywhere. You played seven games when you arrived, but you had four different positions. You played at loose forward, lock, standoff, centre, and you even had a game at hooker. I know. I remember playing hooker. It was against Salford. It was the hottest day too. And I was just, oh, and they just kept coming at me, and I was like, oh god, I'm so tired. But yeah, it was just something you had to do. We're just trying to trying to get that experience and um, obviously I wanted to play lock but sometimes it didn't work out like that with uh, injuries but yeah but we were just gelling we were, we were getting better and better but we just as we were, we were getting better but time was running out <laughs> and, yeah. and then it came came down to that last game the last game where we, we had to win and wait on a result or and funnily enough had to wait on what Cass were going to do Have you scored many hat-tricks in your time? Because that very last game you scored hat-trick against Warrington that was my first ever in in uh, the higher grade, and and Brad scored a hat trick as well, which was um very fitting. They were good mates, and yeah, I remember that week so vividly because I just wanted to make it pressure free. I didn't want to put put the pressure on that we've got to win, we've got to win. So I've been to a barbecue uh, when I was at Leeds, Willie Poachings, and had a pig on a spit. So I got. Marty Moana said, mate, can you organise a pig on a spit? We'll have a couple of beers during the week. And I think we went 10-pin bowling just to try and make it as relaxed as possible, you know, just so we just go out and play footy and not have everything, just all that pressure mounting on us. And, you know, and it worked. And I, knew, I knew from the start of that game against Warrington that we were on and um, and we probably well, was our best performance, but we just played some great footy. And But the, but the hard part, after it finished, we didn't know what to do because we still had 20 minutes to wait for the cast game to see if they beat Salford. And it was honestly, it was the longest 20 minutes I've ever experienced. And the supporters were the same. They didn't know whether to laugh, cry, and you could just see it. And, and But when that result came through, I'll never forget. It was just the most amazing feeling because I'd been through a similar thing in 97 with Cass. We were nearly got relegated, but this was the last game. We had to win, had to wait on a, a result and, and, you know, and the and the result came our way, and there were supporters crying in the in the stands, and yeah, you know, we had a drink the next day, which was it was like we'd won a grand final. It was so good. Yeah, that was, that was exactly. Yeah, we had to rely. We were the bottom two. Wakefield, Salford were bottom two, and they were the bottom. And if we if we, if they'd have beaten Castleford, we'd have gone down. And they lost ten. They lost twenty points to ten to Castleford. So that's that game you were talking about. This game against Warrington was twenty years ago now. So I don't know what your memory's like. But do you remember who your centre partner was that day against Warrington? Um, Dion Burt. No, it's Gareth Ellis. Oh, was who was? So yeah, so Gareth, you. And just on Gareth, you just knew he was going to make it. 
like a great family. Um, got on really well with his mum and dad, but he just had some Gareth. He was only raw bone then, skinny lad, and but yeah, really good fella, and just just had that knack, and which is probably why we made him captain the year later. One year on, mate, 2003. I've, I've got a funny story myself, Phil, but really quick. But you, with, when we don't do this, we're both physios. 20 years ago, I was working in a physiotherapy clinic uh, in Wakefield uh, with a pal of mine, and you came through for treatment. At the time, I was physio for Featherston Rovers. And you you asked me, who's the best two players for Featherston Rovers? And I said to you, Richard Newlove and Jamie Rooney. The very the very next week, you went and signed them both. And I just <laughs> thought, oh, jeez. And I thought I'd get down here. So I'd, I doubt whether you will remember that, but you signed Newlove and Rooney the week after you'd asked me who the best players were. <laughs> yeah. Well, they, they, I, I knew Jamie because Jamie had a bit of a stint at Cass when I was there as well. Yeah. And yeah, he was just destroying that, that, that league, as you know. And, yeah. um, and I always kept an eye on, I was, a, I'm a bit of a footy nerd. So I, had, I was always knew who was playing for every club and, um, and I knew he could play and knew he was, Knew he as well. I was just scoring tries. I tried to get Ian Tonks over as well. Yeah, I couldn't okay. get him over. So, but um, but but just going back to it, to that well, we didn't have a full time S and C strength and conditioning coach. So then I've said to the club, "Can we please get a strength and conditioning coach?" And they've gone, "This is for 2003." And I said, "Yeah, yeah." Anyway, wouldn't give me any money. Wouldn't give us any money for that. For that. Uh, Position. So then in 2003, I was doing the strength and conditioning, sharing the coaching with Shane, playing. It was just, it was just, you can't believe a professional club that, you know, that you had to do it, but, but it's what you had to do. And, you know, we did. And then, you know, in 2003, we, we improved so much because new players in Dallas Wood came in, Michael Corkitas, Ben Jeffries um, from, from overseas. Um, and then, like you said, the boys that we got in, in the UK and Ollie Alima, um, Got him young and Johnny Wells from Cass, so I uh, knew both of them what they're about, and it was um, yeah, it was good. It was yeah, we we improved that year uh, dramatically. I remember the story you were telling me about your uh, S man because they wouldn't give you one, but a mate of Corky's came over. Um, yeah, I'm sure Jamie Papa. Him. Jamie Papa, that's right. Yeah, did, did he help you out a little bit for free? <laughs> yeah, he did. I if, if it wasn't for him, I, I was doing all these programs, and they were just. You know, all right, but they weren't sort of suited for everyone. And he's come over and just said, I'll do these for you. And Jamie, I was just going, oh, thank you, Jamie. And then we tried to get him on. We tried to get him to put him on and they wouldn't do it. It was like, oh, man. So, yeah, he was there for a couple of months, I think. But, yeah, it made a massive difference for us. Sorry, I forgot about that. Yeah, and um, he, um, yeah, I'm, I'm thankful for Corky for bringing him over. Good stuff. You left August 2003, three games to go. You left. What What reason did you go? What was there any reason? Oh, I, I'd gone to the club and said, I need some, you know, yeah, I've got family and that, and kids, and I want to know some what's happening next year. And they couldn't just couldn't give me a, couldn't give me an answer. So I said, oh, you know, I'm going to have to go home. I sort of put the hardball on, but they just couldn't come back to me and say, we're going to sign you up again as coach. And I was like, uh, you know, I need, I need to, I need a decision. They said, oh, no, we're not going to keep you on, which is disappointing because the amount of work that you put into it, and we're, we're always improving. You know, and I always knew that two thousand and four was going to be the year that we were going to, you know, do better things. But anyway, that wasn't how it was, and paid me out. And then Danny Orr rang me and said, what, why don't you come back to Cass for 
so the last few games and see if we can make the semis. So that's what I did. And I'm uh, still living in, in Cass anyway. But, yeah, it was disappointing to leave because I don't like leaving like that. But, um, yeah, I was very proud of what I achieved in the short time there. And then not long after that, mate, you went you went back home and you went to one of the feeder teams of the Brisbane Broncos. And one of my favourite team names ever is the Toowoomba Clydesdales. I think it's a fantastic name. What was it like playing playing for them for a short period? Yeah, well, when I grew up, that was my area. Even though it was seven hours away, the Toowoomba Clydesdales was my... I played junior reps for them. And, and I'd rang Wayne Bennett up and said, uh, uh, Wayne, wouldn't mind, I'd like another crack to see if I could play NRL. So he allowed me to train the pre-season with the Broncos, which I did. And then he said, oh, mate, I don't know if you're going to play first grade, but can you, can you, you know, play in the Clydesdales with all these young fellas, which is Sammy Thiday, Neville Costigan, Matt Ballon, uh, you know, Benny Eichen was playing with as well. Paul Green, uh, the late Paul Green was in that side as well. Uh, and then all these young fellas that would go on to play Origin Australia. And then, um, yeah, Played with them, was playing some good footy with them. And Wayne called me in, was in the gym one day and he said, oh, mate, you're playing some good footy. I said, oh, thanks, Wayne. He said, oh, you'll be in first grade soon. I said, oh, I hope so. He goes, no, no, you will be. I went, oh. So I just, I thought, how good is this? But Wayne lied. I never got to start in first grade, but I really enjoyed uh, the Clydesdales. And then, yeah, had a year there. And then the following year, I went, played for the Burley Bears. When you kind of rugby league career died down a little bit and you wind down and you, you end up retiring. How does someone adapt to quote-unquote normal life again? Oh, I struggled. So I know for uh, that year, because I because when Wayne said that you're going to play first grade again, I, I was in the midst of, you know, looking for a job and all that sort of stuff. So I said, I can't get a job now. I'm just about to play first grade. And, you know, that wasn't to be. And then at the end of 04, that's, I, I struggled. I um. It was like, well, what am I going to do now? You know, uh, got to get a job. I was a joiner by trade, but I hadn't done that. I hated it anyway. But I applied for different jobs in footy and didn't get that. And all of a sudden, that's when the um, mental health side of things changes. And then all of a sudden, I'm I'm having dark thoughts, which I never been in that place before. Um, and I and I've spoken about it since, but. It's a it's like having the devil on one shoulder and an angel on the other. The devil saying you don't need to be here. You know, you know, take your own, take your own life, and the the angels saying, "Don't be silly, you got kids." Da 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 da, and that's what it was on a daily basis. That's a, that's that's the only way I can explain it. And it's like I've gone from being this bloke who's the most positive person in the world to someone who's thinking about taking his life daily, and that was a that was a struggle. And being being a man, I didn't ever tell anyone about it. I was too embarrassed to tell my mates, family. You know, and anyone asks how I'm going, I'll just smile and say, "Yeah, good, all good." But I was doing that battle. But it was my, it was like, it was like my kids knew knew it because on the dark days, it's like they just come up and give me a random hug, say they love me or something like that. And that was, that was probably the just the stopping. You know, how can I? You know, can't leave them, can't leave them, can't leave them. And and I went on for three months and then still lost. And Benny Iken rang me one day and said, oh, you want to have a game of golf? So I rang him and uh, went out a game of golf with him. And I said, mate, you don't know anyone who's got a job. And he goes, oh, my old man's hiring someone who's an ops manager. And I said, well, I don't know how to run a, run a, a small thing. And he goes, no, no, no. Anyway, long story short, I got the job. I got the job and I reckon I grew like 
bit like a wilting flower and it just grew and just changed changed overnight. It was it was amazing. And I didn't talk about that. That was oh four. I didn't talk about that till two thousand ten. I wrote a blog about it. All of a sudden all these ex players are coming to me and saying I went through the same thing and I spoke to Angela Powers actually. I did a thing for state of mind and I said she said, What'd you learn as a kid? And I said, You learn to be tough, get up, you're not hurt, don't cry, be be vigilant body language, all these things that help you become a professional footballer. But when you're going through something like that, they actually hurt you because <laughs> you're, you're being tough, vigilant, don't cry, don't tell anyone you're hurting. And so it actually, it's and yang and, um, you know, and, and blokes as well don't talk about their problems. And, you know, there's a lot lot going on. I've just, you know, lost, I've lost two people I know in the last week, one being Paul Green. Uh, to, to suicide you know and um, but when you play footy you're so regimented every day's regimented you do this 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 and this you go to training you laugh you joke and there's nothing that can um, copy rugby league be it a tackle be it the elation of scoring a try being scoring a hat trick and not getting relegated there's nothing that can copy that and that's the biggest problem how do you how do you how do you fill that space when you retire? And that's and, and I've talked to, you know, um, I've talked to swimmers, I've talked to army people, I've talked to uh, all different athletes, and they all go through the same thing when they retire. And, and and if you retire and then don't, which is why I train every day. That's why I train because I'm just regimented. I start my day um, because that's a mental health thing to to make sure I start my day. And but it's yeah, it's tough. Like it's tough and it's. It's going to be worse for these kids coming through that have never worked a day in their life. Um, all of a sudden, and if they love the, you know, they've got a massive ego and love all that sort of stuff, it's going to be a struggle. And you, you're exactly right in terms of it's a topic at the minute that's very prevalent with with the loss of the late Paul Green. Um, what bit of advice would you give to someone if, if they came to you saying that they were struggling or struggling to adapt to life after rugby league? Oh, just just to get just to be so regimented, like you've got to you've got to have a purpose. And then if you just lay in bed all day, and, you know, and that's how it happens. It can happen. You lay in bed, you know, and you don't do anything. You got to be around your mates. What I, the other good thing I did, I, I tra- when I was living on the Gold Coast, I trained with the Kevin Campions, the Peter Gills, uh, all these old players. We all trained together in the morning. You know? So I did sort of, I did weights for them three mornings a week. I boxed with another group of mates, another two mornings a week, um, sp- sparring, which is not, which is probably the closest thing you've got to playing footy, I think, but but just be around mates, just so you can have a laugh because that's the other thing, laughter and joking and taking the piss is, is, is one of the best things about playing footy, you know, like we'll get together with different players and whoever you took the piss out of 20 years ago, you're going to take the piss out of, now you know it doesn't change and it's such a good laugh and you know it's really important you get you get that you get the regiment uh, structure in your life but you, you're with mates and, you, and you're just doing that physical exercise as well but just and having mates that they can see if if there's a change in what you know how you're feeling are you a happy man now valzi happy man mate happy man yeah no it's always a struggle. It's all, you always have your ups and downs this Paul Green thing to be fair it really hurt it really hurt me I um you know I knew him and um but same age roughly and you know from the outside looking in you thought hey, well he's got everything 
But as we know, it's, it's a bit like, you know, Facebook and Instagram. It all looks pretty and rosy on those social media platforms, but you don't put anything bad on there, do you? So it's a bit of a fake, a fake world we live in. But yeah, and no, I'm good. That that I went, I went and um, had a tough boxing session on Sunday morning just to to get through. And I've talked to a few players as well, like uh, talking to Kevin Campion and Chris Walker, and they said, yeah, rock them as well. But just because someone you know is so close. And you know, and it's really important. That's why uh, you got to talk. You got to talk. You got to talk to people. There's talk of there being like a mental health round being brought in as well, and obviously pushing all the mental health charities as well. I think that'll go down really well. Yeah, I just, I don't know. I, I just think it's got to be. You know, the amount of men that commit suicide is. I don't know what it'd be the same pro- probably in in England, but the amount of men that commit suicide in Australia is massive. It's massive, and it doesn't get enough spotlight. You know, there's more people do uh, commit suicide than there is COVID deaths in Australia. So, you know, but you don't ever hear about it. So I think it's important that that's got to come out. Now, oh, I'm sort of happy that it came out that Paul had committed suicide because it put an awareness on it, put an awareness that you know men struggle, men and women, I know both, but particularly men from, and I think 40 to 50 age group is pretty 35 to 50 age group. But yeah, you know, it's really important that that gets out there, and they, you know, it's every day. It's not just one, one to one day. Balzi, I know you're living a busy life at the minute, and you you like to get off and train. But so, thank you very much for coming on the podcast very early in the morning and being a very open, honest gentleman and, and a great chat. And hopefully, everybody that's listened has taken something from this chat. Yeah, thanks, Jamie. Thanks, Lee, for having me. Uh, great to catch up, um, and uh, all the best for the year. Thank, thank you. you very much, mate. Thank you, everybody, for listening to episode 55 of the Wakefield Trinity Heritage Podcast. You can find us on podcasting platforms worldwide and on Facebook and Twitter as well. Massive thank you to my co-host, Lee Robinson. Thank you once again to Adrian Valls. I've been Jamie Robinson, and we will catch you all down the road. Hi, it's Cammy Tris Gamara. You have been listening to the Trinity Heritage Podcast with Jamie and Lee Robinson. It's unbelievable!